Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawn with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. And on today's episode, I am going to be joined by uh, LinkedIn's rising star, Joe McIntyre, <laughs> founder and principal over at 1248. And we're going to talk to him about his experience in the logistics fulfillment world and what he's doing with 1248 now. And also talk a little bit about brand, 3PL relationships, and also some great tips and insights that he's been providing over on, on LinkedIn and, and discuss those a little bit and, and really enjoy whenever I get a chance to talk to Joe. So happy to bring him on the podcast here today. So Joe, welcome. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, Kevin, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I think I might need to change my my title now, my headline on LinkedIn, Rising Star. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. Excited to chat with you. Like you said, it's always been great when we talk, nerd out a little bit about logistics, talk about different things that are happening within the fulfillment space. Uh, so excited to get get on video with you and talk through it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely excited to, to make this happen and, and have this uh, discussion. So uh, I know you have a, a lengthy background in the, the logistics fulfillment world. So why don't you tell us kind of, a, I guess, a little bit about your background, some of the experiences you've had and uh, how it kind of led up to you starting this company, 1248? Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of a winding path, all been within supply chain and logistics, a uh, little stint in HR, but it still was operational. Yeah. <laughs> um, I started out in large retail doing transportation systems, reporting, but really started to cut my teeth there. And that's where I started to get this seed implanted into my, my thinking about the value of partnerships and relationships. Mm. Uh, I had a role very early on in my career doing uh, carrier partnerships and performance. And the freight market can be a wild place, right? The yeah. the power swings between shippers and carriers and navigating that uh, was really important. At the time that I was there, a buzzword was being a shipper of choice. And that was something that we really yeah. focused on trying to do. And that meant not always winning and not always getting the lowest cost, but providing the most consistency. And that was something that really stuck with me. And so as I went through my career, I started thinking about what I what success would look like. And at that time, it was, let's climb to the top of the ladder. <laughs> let's, let's get a C in front of the title. And yeah. how, do you, how do you do that? Well, I could be an expert in, in transportation, but if I want to go and see it all, well, transportation ties to fulfillment, ties mm -hmm. to warehousing. So I got an opportunity to go and help a company launch here in the US. 
there were some other perks to it. I got to live abroad for a little bit, but I was going to be able to work within operations and fulfillment. And I was like, you know, I can do anything for a year. So let's go do it. We'll see what happens. We can pivot it to something else. <laughs> Fell in love with warehousing and operations and really understanding like, the heartbeat that that is behind the success of a brand or retail or whatever that may be. And again, that was in traditional retail. And so running multi-temp, multi-shift, million square foot warehouse, mm-hmm. right? And really seeing what that looked like. Um, from there, some things going on in personal life, needed some different scheduling, things like that. Had yeah. an opportunity to move over to HR, um, which was actually really pivotal for my operations career, mm-hmm. um, in which I was able to say, okay, responsible for employee relations at stores and at the warehouse. Oh. What does that look like? That shifted into an HRBP type role in which I was doing full employee lifecycle from talent acquisition through offboarding for both stores and warehouses, promotion cycles, everything like that. And so I started to see the people side of the operation through a different lens, mm-hmm. which again, another one of those passion shifts in the night kind of pivotal moments where <laughs> I realized I was really bad at it <laughs> I had my first managerial job when I was at the warehouse. And I had a lot of, oh, my life probably would have been easier had I known this now. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I got through that, got the itch to go back to operations, got an opportunity to go to Amazon and lead a final mile fulfillment station there. And I got to put all that into practice. And I quickly realized that I understood the operations and that was helpful. Mm. But everything I had learned from the HR side of employee relations retention, attrition, all of that was becoming much more impactful when I became responsible for not just the productivity of an operation, Mm. but everything else, right? So the administrative function, the hiring function, the success of the full operation itself, the P&L responsibility, everything there. And then from there, I got an opportunity to move out of the warehouse and move into a more strategic thinking type role with Unibrand. So we were an Amazon aggregator, well, at the time, that's what we call ourselves. I think everyone's trying to change the, the terminology a little bit, but essentially that that's what we were. We were, mm-hmm. we were buying the, the Amazon businesses and looking to operate them. And I had the opportunity to build out the supply chain and operations team there very early on and then had some other people join the team that were really, really smart in some different areas. But that gave me the flip side of the relationship. And mm-hmm. instead of being within operations now, I was out searching for really great fulfillment partners, really good 3PL providers and understanding, okay, we have these great brands that maybe made poor decisions with who they partnered with or made a poor decision that they didn't partner with anyone yet, or maybe made a really good decision. We have a really good partner (laughs) that we want to get more people into. How do we navigate all that? Right. And all of that through the lens of we need to reduce our operating costs. But at the same time, that's where it started to show to me Oh no, there's value in fulfillment. And if you Mm -hmm. shift from a transactional cost mindset to this, unlock a lot of growth and you can take away a lot of your headache really quickly. It'll take some upfront investment. And as we went through all that, I started realizing, oh, there's an opportunity here to not match brands and 3PLs together, but get them ready to make good decisions on who they were going to match with. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And that was the hypothesis of, of going out on my own to 1248. There's really, I came across all these really great brand owners that had phenomenal brand builders, phenomenal products, great marketers, um, but just didn't have experience and didn't know what they didn't know in operations and therefore either made under optimized or just didn't had analysis paralysis and just didn't make a decision when it came yeah. to operations. And on the flip side, there was a ton of phenomenal 3PLs out there that just weren't with the right customer. So they were getting bad reputation, right? And, or they were also at a point in their business where they were trying to scale. And so how do they 
make sure they're taking on the right business to be successful, but also not turning down all business and therefore not being profitable. So that was the the brainchild for, hey, let's go out and see if we can maybe arrogantly go out and see if we think we can be the, the solution to this problem. And it's been fun to do for the past six, eight months. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's such an interesting insight and, and positioning within that, that world, because like you said, I mean, there are, I mean, there's, there's several people out there and, and companies out there that are, like you said, matchmakers, right. For the, the brand and the, and the 3PL, but you know, it, it also takes time to be able to, like you said, you know, set up your, your brand to be ready to get the most out of a, a 3PL in that sense. Right. I mean, it, you know, you come into a, a 3PL and your, your data is all over the place. Your SKUs like uh, don't make any sense and, and all these things like, you, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna see the 3PL is going to be like, man, what's like, what's going on here. Right. We're trying to figure this out. And then the brand is like, you you can't figure this out. Like we've been doing this, you know, ourselves for, for this long time. Right. But it's, it's different. Like right. when it's your own, your own baby. Right. So I mean, right. it's great that you saw that, that positioning and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I want to, I want to take like a, a step back in your career a little bit. Cause I want to talk about this uh, stint in HR. I think it's pretty, pretty interesting here. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, I mean that transition, like from the operation side to, to, HR and and the employee kind of relations role. I, I mean, how does that? Uh, how I mean, you you said that you know you missed operations when you were doing that, but I, I mean, how did that give you a bit of a, a different perspective on the the supply chain and the, the operations overall by by being in that type of role? It it was interesting, and part of it, I think a lot of it had to do with the company I was with mm. at that time and where they were in their life cycle, yeah. you know, had I been at a super established like retailer that had all the, I would never have been a fit for that role to begin with. Right. Mm. But we had just come into the U S from Europe where okay. HR and employee relations, a much, much different mm. environment. And so there was, it was a bit of growth, right. Although it was a very large company, very well established has been around for a very long time. Everything here in the U S was new. And so how do you navigate that piece? And so, well, I say employee relations, and if there's someone from an HR background, right, like what I did may not be considered employee relations elsewhere, right? Yeah. But it was a lot of leadership development is what a lot of it ended up being. We had a lot of really great store managers because we were a brick and mortar grocer, right? A lot of really great store managers. We had a lot of strong first level managers within the administrative and the supply chain functions. Mm -hmm. And then we had a lot of really high potential people within operations in the, in the warehousing and distribution side of the business. But the common thread along most of them were they were in all in their first people managerial position. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of them had the ability and the skill, but didn't necessarily have the experience. Right. And so you started to see these same missteps over and over and over where, mm -hmm. you know, it was a hard discount grocer. So being operationally efficient is super important. That's where the yeah. margin is. So staffing effectively, being very efficient with what's going on, having certain levels, SOPs were, were great, but how were they applying them and how were they doing that in a way in which the people on the teams, right? Your pickers, your packers, your cashiers who for that business were also your stock people, also your owners, also your, your everything, right? Mm -hmm. How, how are you creating a good experience for them 
so that they can become as effective and efficient as possible while also maintaining a standard and having accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's something that when you have, regardless, right, a first-time manager or first-time manager of people in that type of role, you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and you don't have the experience to realize that, you know, shouting may not be the most effective way to get something. Yeah. Always <laughs> going to disciplinary action may not be the most effective way. You may actually be the problem <laughs> for some of the things that are going on <laughs> in your space, right? And so in HR, right, you can get this mixed perception of, you know, well, I'm an, empl- I'm an employee and therefore you're here to protect me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to make sure that you're treated fairly, but I'm also here to make sure that the business is treated fairly and operating effectively, right? right? If you are late, you are late and there are processes. You can call me and you can tell me and that may look differently, whatever. But if you yeah. no call, no show, right, that's a problem. Like, right. oh, I had all these challenges. Okay, can we help you fix those? Mm-hmm. Can, how can we do, you need to change your schedule. I can work with you on that, but I can't just, every time you can't come in, be okay with that because we're right. scheduling, we're depending, wherever, right? Same thing everyone, anyone that's listening that's in fulfillment will deal with, right? And for me, when I went to that role, I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, I was way too lenient because mm. I felt that I couldn't be successful without the people here. And that's true. I could never have been successful without people. Right. But I also carried a lot of people that weren't actually helping me, right? Like mm. on the roster, <laughs> it's yeah. great. I have enough employees, but if only 70% of them show up yeah. and I don't plan for that type of attendance, right? Well, that's a problem. And so I started seeing it through this different perspective, right? Which was very helpful. And then I shifted into this HRBP type role where I then started seeing like, oh, okay, what are the impacts of high attrition? What does it cost us just in time of people to do interviewing, mm. right? If I need to continuously hire over yeah. and over and over. And all these dominoes started to fall for me of, oh, well, if I create a good employee experience mm. and I set good expectations and I keep the bar high for that and keep people accountable consistently, my high performing people don't feel like they're pulling dead weight. My low performing people understand why we're having difficult conversations. Mm we're able to give them the attention and the training that they need. I am spending less time hiring. We're turning over the team less often. Therefore, they need less training and become more effective because we're not always in this constant state of people ramping up, right? And that's where, when I made the shift to Amazon, the scope of my work was way different, right? When I went back into operations than it was when I had been doing the warehouse operations previously. But I was able to have way better time because I understood now from that time in HR, how that all operated, right? Mm. Hey, we're going to have some attrition. Let's plan for that. Hey, we're always going to have some attendance issues. Let's plan for that. Right now we hire effectively to that piece. And now I'm not chasing that. And now we can focus on, okay, Mm. now we need to do productivity. How's that working? Okay. Is it an us problem? Is it a, is it an employee doesn't understand it problem? Is it the process is broken problem? Now we can focus on that piece, right? And then it starts to, you start to get this flywheel is um, an overused term, but you start to get this flywheel of, yeah. okay, I'm not focusing on all of this employee stuff because I actually have a good employee experience because I am stern but fair mm-hmm. and I give people the ability to learn, train, improve, and I reward them for that, 
right? Had I never gone to HR, I never would have seen that. And I, I got to see, I got lucky, right? I got to see it through other people messing it up and yeah. therefore me having to come in and help fix it. But in hindsight, I look back and it's like, that's good. And on the flip side too, not everyone messed it up. I also learned a lot of really great tips from a lot of those people, right? right? Like, yeah. oh, your store doesn't have high turnover. Oh, your warehouse has high turnover, but this team doesn't. Mm. What is this person doing really, really differently? Well, yeah. Right? Like what's that shift leader doing really well? What's this store manager doing really well? And then it starts to get into your mind as you're, cause you're not in the stress of it of like, okay, now how do we take that and apply it? How mm. do we now scale that? Right. And so you think about a three PL that's got, I don't know, two, three facilities, things probably ran really smoothly with one. Now you have two or three, you probably have some hiccups. How yeah. do you have three facilities? That's one, three PL, three facilities versus three, three PLs with the same name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's where I got a ton of value. From yeah. that time in HR, I, I, I'll shout it from the rooftops without going into HR. I, I would not have been as strong of an operator or understood or has been mm. as empathetic or sympathetic to the challenges in operations. We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's such an interesting perspective and experience to be able to to get. And it, it makes as much sense as like you're saying. And, you know, and I, I love the the honesty around, you know, saying that, you know, you wouldn't have been as good as an, an operations manager if you didn't have that experience and, and understanding because it is it, you do run into a lot of times the the operations manager or warehouse supervisor that, you know, like you said, like the doesn't have that empathy, right? Or it doesn't have that thing. Like it's like, you know, the, the number is not the number. So, you know, that's it. Right. So, I, I mean, in that sense, I, I guess, talk to us too, a little bit about the understanding, you know, you had a, a post on LinkedIn this morning, actually, as we we're recording this about hiring the, or promoting the, the top performer into like a, a leadership type position is not always the the best decision. And I think, and I've seen that multiple times in my career. I mean, and I, I, I agree with you, um, but I'm curious your, your thoughts around this and, and kind of why, why you're thinking is that, that, you know, just because this person picks the most units an hour, they shouldn't necessarily be the leader of the, the picking team or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's a different skill set. And it's not to say that yeah. your fastest and your best picker can't yeah. move into leadership role. Yeah. I've seen it work, yeah. but I've also seen it fail far too often, right? right. Because it, it's it's all incentive, right? Like, what are you rewarding, right? If you're rewarding, if you want someone to lead a team, they need to be the one who is there to set hold the standard, the accountability, mm. keep people motivated, train and develop people. Someone on your team is struggling. How do you work with them to go forward, right? Like, mm. If you think about sports, the best players rarely become the best coaches, right? Like yeah. Mike Singletary was a phenomenal football player and linebacker. Yeah. Pretty universally <laughs> seen to have been a complete <laughs> failure as a coach, right? Like, yeah. 
Mike Singletary, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I didn't play football, but you know, <laughs> it's yeah, there, right? Yeah, but thanks for listening. Yeah. On the flip side, you got right. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the flip side, you have someone like Andy Reid, who, yeah, he played football, but he was kind of a role player, got mm-hmm. some time. One of the better coaches of his generation and of yeah. his time and has gotten a ton of success, right? Well, you also t- hear interviews from players all the time that he's extremely relatable to them. He's gone across many different eras of football, of sports, or whatever, because he's understood the people side of it. And he's understood how to set a vision and then set people up for success to get there, right? Mm. Not that mindset of, well, I was great and this is what I did and this is the way to do it. It's, hey, this is what good looks like. This is how we think we get there. What do you need from me to help you do that? Okay, go execute. Mm. Okay, you executed and it didn't work. Why? Right? And that mindset is is a big piece of it. And so when you think about, and this actually comes back to that HR piece. So, I mean, people may not believe that we didn't plan this, but like that was a great segue to keep weaving back through what we've been talking (laughs) about, which is like in the in the stores and in the warehouse, we were a growing company. So you had like fast movement growth Mm. at that time. And we needed people to move into roles. And your default, if you are a first-time manager or anything like that, is, oh, this person's my best person. I need to reward them so I don't lose them. I reward them by promoting them, right? Or that person says, hey, I'm your most impactful person. I have your highest pick rates. I deserve raise more money, whatever. I'm out of here. What you want to reward that? And the quick reward is, well, I get you a promotion, Right. right? But that's really setting someone up for failure because it's a difference right just like singletary and reed right like Mm. to play middle linebacker you would need to have a certain mentality and play with a certain type of aggression and understand a specific piece of the defense and your assignment and execute that flawlessly but if you're a coach you need to understand field position and maybe not being aggressive here is more rewarding there. And when do I call the timeout? And when do I make a personnel change? And when, like, there's a ton more to what's going on. And it just takes a different skill set, right? And the same thing goes in a warehouse. And so when you reward someone for picking fast, but they are not a good trainer, they are not good, they don't understand their SOPs, right? Yeah. They maybe struggle with safety, which is a huge piece. That's a big they, deal. you know, are. They're great when they're there, but they're not always there. Yeah. Like, like, so now you you are what you reward, right? Now, the flip side of that, and someone commented later on in the day and, and made a comment, kind of a sports analogy almost, and, and I had talked about this. That doesn't mean you can't reward your best pickers by saying, hey, you are very good at this. Mm-hmm. Let's give you the tools to start to develop the things that are needed for right. you to take the next step, right? Because uh, as, as harsh as this is going to sound like the corporate ladder isn't straight right you don't go right. hourly picker on the worst shift to the best shift hourly picker to the like, sometimes there's hey you have maxed out right on this skill set mm-hmm. in the job description they have very different things and i would push this a lot too like hey you want to promote this person would you hire them if you had posted this role externally and mm-hmm. they applied externally with their resume yeah right because that's the standard, right? And that's when you can say what you want about Amazon's really good at that. This person can be promoted or hired if you believe they are better than 50% of the people in that role right now, yeah. right? That's how they keep the talent rising, right? So if you're just going to say, well, I want to reward this person for staying, 
but they're 25% below the worst person you could hire if you just went out and hired anyone off the street for that role. Is that really a good hire? And have you set your operation up for success? Have you set that person up for success? Have you set the team that they're about to be responsible for up for success? No, you may you may have taken a short term, this person has stayed and caused a whole lot of other problems in the ripple effect of what's going on. Right? Yeah, yeah, very interesting point. And I, I mean, I think that that makes so much sense because it is, it, it is oftentimes where, you know, you, you get in that situation as a, whether it's a supervisor, manager, and you know, the, the top picker is like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm crushing everybody else. Like, you know, I should get promoted. I should be the lead or I, you know, I, I'm the best, like I should be doing this. Right. But it's, and sometimes like, you know, unfortunately the way sometimes some companies are structured, the only way to get them a raise is to, you know, promote them to a, a lead or something like that. And then, you know, a couple of months later, you're kind of yeah. Like, ah, uh, like this wasn't the, the best thing. Like, cause you know, they're one thing you're, you're potentially losing their, their output a little bit because they're more focused on, on leading, right. And doing other stuff. And then on the same end, like they know how to make themselves the best, but it, it's hard for them to relate that and, and make other people the best as well. And, and have that understanding. And like you said earlier, the empathy to, you know, those lower performers, like, you know, why, why are they not able to to do the same thing I'm able to do, right? And and not be able to take the time to understand and, and coach in the right way. So, so definitely a very interesting. And and I think that you know it's it's super important to to focus on that. And and it's really kind of cool. I think how you got that experience to be able to apply that and and put that into the operations mindset. So very interesting on the the employee relations side. But now. I'm curious on the 3PL and for fulfillment provider and brand relationship side, right? That's a whole, whole different type of relationship there, but, but that's kind of what you're, you're specializing a little bit on the 1248 side is, is being able to prepare and develop and, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're getting ready to, to go out there and find your, your mate for life. Right. And, and so you go and you're like, Oh, yep. I'm going to, you know, let me get a, a haircut, clean up my act a little bit and all these things. Right. So you're, you're coming in and, and making these brands and, and fulfillment providers clean up their act a little bit. So tell us a little bit about some of the, some of like the, the big challenges that either from the, the brand side or the fulfillment provider side have when they're going to try and make up this pairing, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, it, it varies based on the size, right? Where are we talking? Are we talking about a 3PL that's super small or mm-hmm. a brand that has just started versus tier one legacy that's there, right? But the most important thing and the, and the trip up that I see the most on both sides of, of, of the relationship is not fully knowing who they are mm. and therefore knowing who they need. Right. Uh, I, I came across and do still come across <laughs> this concept, right? You talk to someone, it's like, Oh, I just can't find a three PL that's really good and can do what I, what I need them to do. Mm. Okay. Who's your three PL three PL XYZ. Okay. Yeah. I know like 15 other people that are three PL XYZ. I also have used them when I was running brands before, like I've had yeah. a much different experience. Like, this seems weird. And then you start to dig in. It's like, well, you know, we opportunity buy. So we bring in like three containers at a time and then we do tons of kidding. It's like, yeah. Okay. Well, Mm. you were never a fit for them to begin with. 3PL, X, Y, and Z is all about like direct D to C case in units out tradition, like traditional D to C, whatever, like you, Mm. you two aren't a fit. Right. It's like, or, you know, 
any any variation of that, right? But it's hard when you don't know what you don't know. And I was talking with someone about this the other day. They're doing like, I don't know, 5 million to 15 million top line revenue. They're really going from like taking off to starting to stabilize to, okay, we need to start operating in a certain manner, right? Like not super scrappy small. And then we're not talking about like Harry's razors, right? Like on the, on the yeah. super high end up and doing it forever. And by and large, the core t- founding team is still there. And therefore the mentality is still like it was in week three when every penny mattered. You had to be super scrappy with what you did. Every single person needed to be really in the weeds on every topic. And that's not bad. That's, that's not a bad thing to have, right. And a bad mentality to have. But with that, that founding core team by and large probably is really good brand builders, really great marketers, really great product development, but maybe isn't super strong or maybe doesn't have any experience in supply chain and in operations. And they've been able to piecemeal their way there and get decisions and great. And it's been awesome. And I have a ton of respect for that because I, I didn't get in the arena and do that. Right. But because of that, they don't necessarily, when it's time to take that next step, know what kinds of questions to ask to a 3PL, understand that yes, a forecast does matter because while well, you may have a 10% variation, you're not the only customer that's in that 3PL, mm. right? And if you don't communicate with them about when your sales are happening, you don't know. And they need to plan labor and they need to plan capacity and they need to plan everything that's going out, not just for you, but for the other 20, 25, however many other customers they have, mm. right? And so when you've either have a ton of experience on the operation side or the 3PL side, or you've just done it for a very long time, that starts to become second nature for me, for you. Or if yeah. you've spent time on the receiving end of that, running a 3PL or running an operation, you understand that. And that's common knowledge for you. So how do you start to bridge that gap? Right. And so it's not that a brand is a bad operator, right? Yeah. Oh, they never give us forecasts. They're terrible. It's like, did you tell them that you need one? Right. Like yeah. <laughs> what, what's your impact to it? Right? right. Then on the 3PL side, it's the same thing, right? Like, if you are really good at kidding and you bring on a business that does full container in full pallet out and you don't have a ton of space to store it, like, okay, did you really set yourself up for them not to be mad at you? Did you really price yourself in a way that made sense for you to be profitable on this account? How do you start to understand that piece? You need to know that, Hey, this brand is a fashion brand. That's fast fashion. Like their forecasts are probably going to change pretty quickly. You right. may have SKUs that are coming in brand new tomorrow, right? Whatever the case may be. Doing the the legwork up front to make sure that, hey, this is a match is important, right? Mm. Like, just like you said, if you're getting married and you're getting ready to go out there yeah. and you don't know what values you care about, if you want kids or don't want kids, do you want to live in the city or yeah. not? Do you, <laughs> do you want to own a home or do you want to rent forever? And then you go out there and you're like, Oh, no, this matters to me. Oh, yeah, but I can make this work. There's a lot of potential in this mm. relationship. Yeah. I'm just going to figure it out. Well, that one, that relationship probably doesn't end very well, right? Yeah. Because if the other person has really strong stances on it, it's just never going to be a fit. So doing that diligence up front of who am I? What do I need to be successful? Can you provide that mm. either on the brand side or on the shippers or on the 3PL side? Super important. But that's where a lot of the work doesn't happen. And I can't blame anyone for that, right? Yeah. Everyone's at different cycles of their business. Like some people are in the money is money and we'll figure it out. And then mm-hmm. we can start to niche down. 
right? Or, you know, I have bills to pay. I can't turn away business, right? Mm. Then it just comes down to your risk tolerance. Are you willing to take on something that looks profitable on paper with the little information you have, but may not be profitable and maybe an absolute headache long-term? Mm. Or, you know, as a brand, are you willing to go to somebody who is really, really cheap, but may never pick the phone up and may take seven <laughs> weeks for you to inbound something and loses all your inventory and therefore you have to put out extra cash flow? Or are you willing to, you know, spend a little bit of extra time and spend a little bit of extra money to get somebody who is going to be a partner with you to help you grow and evolve? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's such great analysis and insight there. I mean, around this, because it is, it, it is such a thing to, to understand like the, the full on capabilities from, like you said, not only, not only from the, the brand or retailer looking at the 3PL, but the 3PL also from like the brand side too, like, and, and setting that expectation up front and, and within the initial conversations that like, Hey, this is how we operate. This is what we expect. I mean, your sales there, like that, you, you mentioned like, you know, uh, are you, are you having a sale? Are you not having a sale? Like what's going on? Like, I, I mean, I worked for a, a very large company before and we utilized the 3PL, a very large 3PL. And the 3PL guys told me one time, they're like, oh, we know if you guys have a sale because we're signed up for the mailing list. So we see in the morning, like the, the sale comes out through the, the email list. And then we know we got to move more people to the e-commerce yep. department. And I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> Nobody's giving you a heads up from like, you know, the, the marketing planning side or anything like that. And you're like, nope, no, we signed up for the uh, mailing list. We learned that early. So I'm like, okay. So I, yeah. I mean, it's so I mean, important. It, it, yeah. yeah. It's wild how often you hear that. Right. And yeah. if I'm jumping ahead, I apologize. But like, nah. that's something that I tell people a ton, right? Like if, if you're a brand and you're going into a 3PL relationship, you're not offloading your logistics and fulfillment to them. Right. You're hiring a contractor to do something. You're hiring fractional employees to do something for you. Yeah. So treat it the same way as if you were hiring a fractional CFO, a fractional CMO, you were hiring a contractor to do something else, right? Like you're vetting them hard. You're bringing them into your business. They're part of your important meetings. So the same thing needs to happen for a three. Okay. Maybe you don't want to have them sitting in a meeting, but that information needs to get to them. They need to be part of your SNOP process. They need to be part of your sale, however you set up your sales calendar. They need to know what's happening there for them to be successful so that they can scale up and contract the way they need to. And when you're a good partner with that, well, now you start getting better rates, right? Because right. they aren't pricing risk into it. They're not pricing uncertainty into it. Mm. You're able to say with some level of, no one's expecting 100% accurate forecast. That's ridiculous. It wouldn't be a forecast then. Yeah. It would just be, this is what's happening, yeah. right? But you need to be, it's a lot easier for a 3PL to go from, you know, 75% to 95% than it is to go from zero to 100 mm. on two weeks notice, right? So, and then on the flip side of that, there's there's a lot of tools out there that I talk with 3PL, like for a very low cost, like, mm. okay, if, you're, if you don't have the infrastructure to really push your customers to, Give, give you that information and consistently be on the phone with them. And that's fine. Yeah. But then don't get upset when they don't give you that information. You can mitigate some of that by there's a ton of really great inventory planning software out there right now. Mm. Why can't the 3PL use that? Right. Mm. The brand is, you're already connecting to those brand stores for D2C orders, D2C. You know what their sales history is. Yeah. So you can at the very least give yourself a baseline of, okay, if, Everyone does the same things they did last year. Here's what it's going to look like. Let's put a 15% buffer for growth, whatever the case may be, trend, whatever. You can do that. And you can start to do what the big 
players like Amazon and GXO and everybody else does from right. a three or from a fulfillment standpoint of here's my 13 week SNOP plan. Here's my, you know, two to four week scheduling plan. Here's my two day plan to make sure if I need to get VTO or VT out there, mm. here's my plan for tomorrow and yeah. how I'm fine tuning <laughs> it in. Right. And you, and, and you can do that for fairly, a fairly inexpensive and fairly low impact way. So if, if you're going to, if you have customers that aren't going to give you that information, you can, you can buffer that for yourself to yeah. an extent, or you can now bring more value to somebody else. And you can say, Hey, this is what I think your demand is going to look like in the next 13 weeks. Do you think that that's right? Do you have any other plans? And now you're being proactive, right. right? And now you're driving that partnership mindset with the brand. And now you're becoming an educator with a brand that maybe is good, but just doesn't have experience in the impacts on fulfillment. And you know, all of a sudden you start to get some traction and yeah. it just starts getting better and they see their profitability going up and you guys are executing better. So now they're much happier. The conversations start to look different. It, it's, it's all interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the point there about, you know, the, the 3PL themselves, like, or the fulfillment provider, you know, being able to, to forecast and, and have some type of understanding of what's going to happen, I, I think is, it is so true. I mean, you have, like you said, you, you have the data, right? I mean, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're shipping out the stuff. So you know how many packages, how many orders are going out for them, for that brand. And, you know, and we do something similar uh, on our side too, on the fulfillment side. I mean, very, very simple spreadsheet. We just tracked over a little while because for us, anything that comes in before 5 p.m. ships same day. And so we look in the morning and we took, you know, a couple weeks of data and understood that, okay, in the morning we started with this many orders. And by the end of the day, we finished with this many. So we know we come in the morning, there's this many orders, add, you know, 15% to it. And that's going to be how many orders we're going to maybe have today. So let's staff for that. So, it, you know, it's pretty simple to start to do things like that and, and understand that. And like you said, when you start to do that and you're able to be flexible and manage that capacity, then like you are going to execute better, right? Instead of like saying like, oh, well, you know, they're not telling me how much there's going to be. And now there's like a big drop at late in the day and uh, like, well, uh, well, we're not going to make it, right? We're going to have to do yep. it tomorrow, huh? right? Like, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, that's not the way. Like, you know right. what you've done for the past couple of weeks, months, maybe a year, if if you've been with them that long. And uh, you can start to, to predict and understand, like, how that business flows and how the orders come in and, and all those mm -hmm. different things. So so really yeah. a great point there. I mean, I think, you know, it's very important on, on both sides of the table to be able to to foster and build that relationship and not expect that, the other party is always going to deliver the the perfectly wrapped up package to you. And, you know, there may be some things you need to do and, and to help them push along, but also in a partnership, you're going to work together and, and figure that out. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Every, every agreement, contract, rate sheet, whatever is mm. signed in the perfect condition. Yeah. Right? When's the last time your operation ran in the perfect condition, <laughs> right? So how do you buffer yourself on either side of that equation mm. against that, right? To make everybody more successful. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, they're interdependent on each other. A fulfillment provider and a brand need each other, mm. right? And the success of one is inevitably going to be the success of the other because yeah. when one side of it fails, both sides of it fail. Like it has to, it, they hold each other up, right. right? You know, I can't be a brand that is getting customer loyalty and all the, all the free marketing and all the free, everything from being a really great brand to work with. 
if I'm not delivering what the person expects, right? Mm. In D2C and e-commerce, the only physical touch between the checkout and a package receiving at the door is completely handled by your fulfillment partner. So if you're mm. working with outsourced or a 3PL, right? Like they are in total control of everything that happens from money leaving your customer's hand to them physically getting the good, mm. right? So why wouldn't you want to get that right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and that's, but, but it's, it's, it's one of those ones where, you know, on a, on a the traditional thought is it's transactional on a spreadsheet. That's a cost that can be managed, yeah. right? It's not seen as a investment on how we improve customer experience, how we grow our mm-hmm. brand, how we find out our blind spots so we can plan inventory better. We can turn inventory better. We can improve our cash flow better. Your 3PL has all that information, right? Like yeah. they are a, they are a, a free cons- free a free consultant a free resource right like they have the ability to sh- to work with you to help you get better right yeah well, I mean we ran into that we couldn't figure out why it was taking so long or why our inventory was always wrong and we finally picked up the phone and said like okay we need to just this can't keep going what's going on and they're like mm. well it's showing up mixed house we're like no it's not this cu- this supplier is absolutely supposed to be sending single skew pallets. Mm wrapped everything like, nope, showing up floor loaded, mixed containers. If it comes yeah. on pallets, they're mixed pallets. It's like, oh, okay. We yeah. thought you guys stunk at your job. <laughs> Not the case. <laughs> our, our shipping provider was doing something we didn't think so. They weren't labeling boxes right at the where, whatever the case may be, right? And you start to learn a whole lot more that way. But you got to pick up the phone or send the Slack message or get the cadence of just talking and yeah. it not being you did something wrong, you did something wrong. It be, how are things going? What can improve? What's going well? What changes are you seeing, mm. right? Like, I mean, we changed, we changed packaging providers from feedback we got from a 3PL. We changed carriers with feedback we got from a 3PL because they were just always missing their appointments, right? Yeah. Like, we, like all kinds of stuff. And with very simple, no, no cost to us other than time working on a relationship with the 3PL partner, Yeah, we cut cost and we cut time out of our supply chain Yeah, in other areas. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's such a a great insight there because I I mean, I've experienced the same thing, you know, on, on the, on the 3PL side, you know, like being like, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, this, this brand, everything you're going to receive is going to come palletized. And, and, you know, it was the same thing. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. And they're like, what, (laughs) what do you mean? Right. And then you send them pictures and they're like, Oh my God. Like what's going on here? Like, this is not the way it's supposed to come. And, and then yeah. you can make those changes and, and do those types of things, but you got to have that open kind of open dialogue, open line of communication to, to be able to, to make that happen. And, you know, the, the last person that touches that package is, is your 3PL most likely, right. That you have some, some contact and control over. So, you know, ask them, ask them what's going on, right. You know, we have stuff that's going yeah. out and, you know, instead of trying to figure it out internally and scratching your head and, and making assumptions, like you said, and, you know, point the finger right away, like ask the questions like, Hey, like, is something going on? You know, what's the problem? And, and then try to start to understand that. So you can start to, to improve upon that. So very interesting stuff with you here, Joe. Um, I think that we could uh, talk for another few hours probably about all this stuff. So maybe that uh, will allude to a, a part two sometime in the near future as well. But I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and giving all these great insights into the fulfillment relationship over 
overall world. You are the the 3PL brand relationship counselor, I will say, uh, for 1248. So really appreciate you coming on. And if people are interested in, in learning more about 1248 or, or connecting with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, to learn about 1248 and my background, my approach to, to all this, it's www.1248.co. So T-W-E-L-V-E. .co. And then, like you said, I am super active on LinkedIn and that you can find me at uh, either search 1248, search Joe McIntyre, or it's forward, forward slash Joseph McIntyre seven. Uh, it's a lot of characters, but that will take you directly <laughs> to me. Yeah. And maybe Kevin, we can, we can drop some, a, link, a link in the, in the yes. uh, description to help people out so they don't have to get carpal tunnel typing it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely put all that information at the newross.com as well as in the description of the video here too. So Joe, thank you once again for coming on. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. You've been listening to the new warehouse podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from The New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for The New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.